Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. About 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of the Americas. We celebrate that, don't we? In the first year, they built their town. In the second year, they elected their governor. On the third year, he commissioned that they should begin a road traveling to the west. They got the first five miles of that road done. In the fourth year, they impeached him for that. Having traveled 3,000 miles, what do we need to go five miles west for? Everything we need is here, right? What short vision. Obviously, all of us now live west of there. Here were people who had, who had the spirit and the tenacity to, to brave a ship across the ocean in those days, enduring new, in, innumerable hardships. And then once they got to the other side of the ocean, they just lost that that. So much of that spirit. Four years later, they couldn't see five miles outside of their own town. They lost that pioneering vision. And so we turn that around to the church and we ask, what's what's our vision? When when this church was founded 100 years ago, 100 plus years ago, what vision did the founders of the First Church of Christ in Elkins have? And are we still on path for, for what drove them to make the sacrifices that they, that they needed. They wanted to take Christ to Elkins, to Randolph County. Uh, did, ha, have we, are we still fulfilling their mission of evangelism? They built a building. They've, they've kept adding it on. That's why we have so many internal windows um, and, and shadows of windows that used to, be, used to face out. We've added on to the building have we continued in the spirit that the building was built in, that, that the church gathered in? Let's, let's be honest. Churches struggle to grow in the 21st century because many churches, have, many churches have lost their vision. They've lost their purpose. For many, the goal of evangelism has faded away to be replaced by a goal of comfort. Um, I think one of my favorite sermons, when, when a, a friend of mine, my preacher back when I lived in Urbana, Illinois, said there are three kinds of churches. When churches are founded, they are risk takers, but over time they shift into caretaker mode. And after caretaker, unfortunately, they don't realize when they shift into undertaker mode. And undertaker mode is just the idea of if we can just get this church to not die while I'm here, I don't care what happens the day after. As long as it sticks around and I'm comfortable while I'm here, I don't care about what the church is doing. And it's easy to fall into that. I think that we do that self-consciously. We're just worried about our comfort. Somebody else's problem to see to the future of the church. We just want to go through our own routine. We all probably 
probably all of us a little bit fade in and out when we, when we have a tough week and we think it's somebody else's problem to teach the lessons, turn on the lights, prepare communion, whatever. It's easy to fall into that for a little bit. The danger is when we stay in, in that mode. When we get there, the goal is no longer evangelism. It's no longer looking to other people. It's being selfish. We just want to be comfortable in our little Appalachian church. Um, At heart, if we were honest with ourselves, we don't want growth. And the reason we don't want growth, the advantage of a church, I'm looking at our numbers today, I see the number 78 is what we've got. The advantage of 78 people is you can know everybody here. Now, if this church were running 150, there would be people here that you couldn't, there'd be more people than you could keep track of. The average human can keep track of about 100 people in a room. Uh, 150 people, we couldn't, we couldn't keep track of everybody. And currently, you represent 178th of the voice in this building. But if we doubled that number, you'd be half that. You'd have half the, and, and some people don't want that. that and, they, and, and, and at heart, there are people, they wouldn't want to say it out loud, because we know that God wants this building full, but at heart, we kind of breathe a sigh of relief when it isn't. Because then it's our little comfy Appalachian church, and, 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 and maybe the church can grow when I'm not here. Maybe the church can grow down the road, but, but, I'm, I, but I like it when it's small. That's the problem that we can fall into. Our job is not our comfort zone. The job of the church isn't to make us comfortable. It's not to maintain. The job of the church is to preach Christ crucified. Our job is evangelism. And again, that's a fancy word that we throw around. Evangelism just means telling people the good news that Jesus died to save them. That's what it is. The job of the church is evangelism, and anything that distracts us from that is of the devil. I've, I've shared this before. There was a church that hired an architect to come in and and redesign their church to better equip them for evangelism. They felt that they could do that in part through the building itself. And this architect assured them that he could do that. And when he got done, the pews were no longer padded. Uh, The floors were harsh. There was a lot of the comfort that was gone. And he said, churches cannot be comfortable if they want to evangelize. And and from what I've read about this church, they said, you are absolutely right, actually. We can't afford to fall asleep in the pews. We can't afford to tune out. And and, and they they felt that he had earned, earned what he said that he would do. Any ministry that distracts us from evangelism isn't serving God. And it has to be evaluated, and I want to get into that. We'll get into that in the sermon. I'm not saying that everything needs to be cut out if it's not street preaching. But everything needs to be evaluated under the lens of sharing Jesus. So today, the last few weeks, we've read lots of scriptures. We'll make up for that today. Just a short bit of scripture on the ministry of the church and how the apostles balanced the ministries of the church. And so we're in Acts chapter 6. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them, Jews who had grown up in Greece, the Grecian Jews among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Just pause right there. So, the Jews that were born in Greece and had moved to Israel felt that they were not getting the same treatment 
as those who had been born and raised locally. They're all, all Jewish at this point in time. Um, and the church was clearly distributing food to those in need. Okay. Verse 2. So the twelve, the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Some things we learn about ministry from this passage. The first thing that I see is that we are called to serve the community through benevolence. There's no question that we live in a day when there are needs. And let's be honest, it's getting ready to get worse. Uh, with, with the, the economies are not good. We, we, the one-two punch of the pandemic and then the, the, the war in Ukraine, uh, things are bad. I am glad I live in West Virginia right now. Things are much worse. I was chatting with a friend of mine earlier this past week. Uh, he lives in Kiev, uh, Ukraine, the capital city of Ukraine. His name is John. I asked him how he was doing. And he said, I'm struggling to get through a bunch of work right now. He says, because the estimate is that by the end of next week, this, this week, Thanksgiving-ish time, he said, we won't have electricity anymore. And I said, is it, is it that bad? I've heard a lot of bad things about how bad it is over there. And he said, I'm predicting a very, very cold winter. Um, I'm glad that I live here. Uh, we, let us not take for granted the blessings that we have. We're getting ready to see the prices on food go up a bit, probably, and gas a bit, probably, but, but not as bad as in some parts of the world. We know that so much of the world relied upon some of the, a lot of the exports of Ukraine, and this is hurting us right now, hurting our world. It would be nice, wouldn't it be nice if the church could just help, snap its fingers and help everyone? As long as we're in fantasy world, wouldn't it be nice if we could help people so much nobody ever had to go to work? Wouldn't that be just amazing if we had a world like that? Such a utopian world that hunger was gone, there was no need to work, everything was automated. And now I've read enough science fiction that I don't think that that would actually work out. But it would be nice to dream about it. The truth is that our church, in fact, every church on earth, cannot take care of every need. The church just doesn't have those resources. And, and if we're honest, it's also not the church's job. At no point do we read that it was the job of the church to feed all of the hungry people in Jerusalem, let alone the whole world. They just didn't have those kinds of resources. What we read is they looked after each other. And in fact, what we just read is that they struggled to look after their own, let alone all of the poor people in Jerusalem. We cannot solve all the problems of a fallen world. And it's not our job. 
The church is a community. Church is supposed to be a family. And it should be able to take care of its own. Now we read later on in the New Testament that the church in Jerusalem, when Jerusalem went through a bad time and had a famine, the church in Jerusalem couldn't even take care of the church in Jerusalem. And they relied upon the help of churches in Asia who sent them funds to help, help, their, help the church in Jerusalem. The job of the church, be careful on this, don't, don't read into this more than I'm saying. The job of the church is not to feed the poor. Our job is not social justice for the sake of social justice. That doesn't mean that feeding the poor is bad. That doesn't mean that making the world a better place is a bad thing. But the family of Christ is supposed to take care of the family of Christ. I do see that in the book of Acts. There was a need in the early church. It's easy to paint the early church as this perfect ideal that we should get back to. I almost believe that. I'm almost there. I would say that this is when the church is at its best, its closest to its perfect state, and I absolutely believe that the goal of the church is to be a first century book of Acts, primitive, that's not an insult in this case, primitive church. I don't mean primitive, no electricity. I mean get rid of all the human stuff we've added in 1900 years and go back to this. But it wasn't perfect. And what we see here is that I don't want to call it a racial oversight, a cultural oversight. There were people, based upon where they were born, that were being overlooked in ministry. And when this was brought to the attention of the apostles, the twelve, they were concerned. That wasn't their goal. That wasn't what they wanted. The Grecian Jews saw that their widows were not being treated the same, and it was a real issue. The apostles recognized it was a problem. The apostles recognized it wasn't their problem. Wow, that amazes me. Um, they, they, didn't, they didn't micromanage this. They didn't say, we'll get right on that, as in we'll take care of solving it. They said, we'll pick people to solve it. They chose seven men. One of the things you may not recognize when we read through those seven names, and I don't expect that this jumps out at you, but it jumps out as me because I majored in this. These seven men all have Greek names. Be very clear that's not an accident. The Grecian widows are being overlooked. Let's get seven Greeks, seven, seven men who are Greek, to deal with it because it's, it, it's part of their community. They're going to see what we clearly have not been seeing. Seven men with Greek names chosen to deal with Greek widows. That makes sense. These men knew the need and presumably knew best how to handle it. The apostles couldn't do it because ministries cannot grow when there is micromanaging. Find any church over 100 people, and that is a church that has learned how to not have one person handle everything. And, a church, and churches often, the make or break, half of our churches in our country are under 100, half are over. And the hardest, re, the hardest thing for a church to break that number of 100 is for the leadership to be able to say, we may not be able to keep our hands on the details of every single ministry. And like the apostles, that's when leadership says, we trust you people to take care of this ministry and we don't have to micromanage it. The apostles understood the concept of caring and providing for widows, and they took that seriously, which is why they turned it over. Um, I don't, 
Every now and then I hear Acts chapter 6 is about serving communion, that that's the tables they're waiting on. I don't believe that at all. This isn't a communion passage. This is a meals on wheels passage. This is about meeting literally the needs that people were hungry. There will always be complaints in the church. There will be dumb complaints. You'll hear dumb complaints. We, we do all the time. But there are some serious complaints as well that are legitimate that may be things that haven't been considered or heard. Things that the ministry may not... Don't assume that, that, that the leadership of a church, the elders, the deacons, the trustees, the board, what, what, whatever faction of leadership the minister, don't assume that if there's a problem in the church that leadership is ignoring it. Leadership may not have seen it. And... And don't just assume the negative, because the apostles didn't know what was going on. And these were the 12 men that were the closest to Jesus. And if there were things that they didn't realize were going on in the, in the ministry of the church, can, can we give that grace to, all of, to each other? The apostles were very practical. If you see a need, you deal with it. And I really think that that is a good model. The difference between, you know, if God showed you this need, then maybe God is showing you the solution. The difference, again, between a little church and a big church is often just whether or not things can be delegated. I know of a church in St. Louis that uh, this was their secret to growth. Their, their preacher, um, he went back to Lincoln Christian University a number of times to give lectures on how to grow a little church into a big church. Brilliant man. And, uh, and, and, he said the way, that, the way that they grew this church was that when people would come and say, we need a ministry for X, he would say, great, you lead it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the example he would give is he said, we had a young man come to us and said, we need a skateboarding ministry. This guy was over, the minister was over 70. He said, that's definitely not my ministry. He said, you lead it. He said, we get a lot of times we would get people that would come and they would see something in the church, but they didn't want to have to deal with it. He said, they were just trying to make my schedule busier. He said, I don't have, he said, I don't wait around, sit around waiting to have more things to do. He said, if God has given you the eyes to see a need, then you need to strongly consider whether or not God is also giving you the passion for the ministry to do it. Churches are not going to be healthy and they will not grow if ministry is all on just a handful of people. We all know the old statistic, 10% of people do 90% of the work. We hear that, in the ch- and, nine, and therefore 90% of the people only do 10% of the work. I've heard that my whole life about churches. It probably applies to other organizations as well. Um, pick, pick any social club. Uh, but, but it does apply to churches too often, unfortunately. Um, if we're going to raise our voice to bring attention to a need, we need to be ready to be part of the solution. It takes effort to see and care for needs. We need eyes to see, but we also need hands that do the work. We need to minister. Traditionally, Acts chapter 6 has been used to argue for why we have deacons. It's the go-to passage on deacons. It might be. Um, you have the 12 apostles. They choose seven ministers. The word for minister is, in Greek, deacon, diakonos. However, I'll also point out that the apostles specify we are deaconing the word. That's literally how it's phrased, the ministry. We are deaconing the word. We don't have time to deacon tables. 
So maybe this is about the formation of the deacons. I'm not against that at all. I would just point out that the concept of ministry here is split between really two kinds of ministry. The apostles specify we are doing spiritual ministry, ministry to the word and prayer. We don't also have time to do that and wait tables. And, and, and we, will, we will let these seven men do the more physical ministry while we do the more spiritual ministry. What I see is that the church was not afraid to adjust its structure for growing ministry. The early church in Rome had seven deacons, but it wasn't because this passage had seven men. The early church in Rome had seven deacons because Rome is built on seven hills, and there were seven neighborhoods in Rome, and they assigned one deacon per neighborhood. And that makes sense. Sometimes churches get into this status where we've, got, we've always had five deacons or eight deacons. We've always got to have... What do deacons do? They minister. I, I don't want to get, I, the Bible doesn't go into more detail than that, and I don't think we need to today. But I see that it's a practical ministry that they do, and the, and the diaconate shouldn't be symbolic or impractical. It should be a very practical ministry within the church. Like the, the early church, we want to serve the church, serve the community through benevolence. Now, Let's talk about this serving the church through prayer and the word. So, so why didn't the apostles take on this ministry? Were they racist? Were they lazy? Or is there more going on? The church, and, and by the church I don't mean this church, I mean churches, all churches. The church is full of people with ideas. Wouldn't it be great if we do this? But again, the problem is when that we means you. I've had that happen, and I, think, and I think most churches have that happen where the we should do this as a church doesn't mean I'm going to be involved. I just want to be a, a part of a church. I was talking this past week with, on, on, on the phone with a friend of mine named Ken, and I've shared this. Ken, Ken preached at a church in, in southern Illinois that ran 500 people. Their Sunday nights ran 40, 30. So they canceled Sunday night services because they said it's clearly not meeting the needs of the community, and they had over 50 complaints, but they weren't running 50. People want to be a part of a church that has Sunday night church, but they don't want to go. People want to be a part of a church with all these activities, but they don't want to be a part of those. They just want to be able to brag through association. Look at how active my church is. It doesn't work that way. Ministry can't work that way. There's often this idea that those doing ministry can surely do more. That's, that's their job. The apostles had a job, and they were clear on what their job was, and their job was spiritual guidance. Prayer and ministry of the word, not ministry of tables. Not to say that the ministering tables wasn't a good ministry. It's great ministry. It just wasn't their ministry. So we get to that old saying that ten percent of the people do ninety percent of the work, and that's that's the threat. It's not over it's not okay to overload a few with the work of the church while everybody else watches. And again, with, with apologies for repeating myself, football is 11 people desperately in need of a break, watched by 11,000 people desperately in need of exercise. And the church can fall into that if we're not careful. Remember that I said that church is not social justice. We, we just can't feed all the people on earth. It's about spiritual growth. And the apostles needed to be free to take care of the ministry of spiritual growth, that's the church's top priority. That doesn't mean that feeding people was a bad ministry. 
In fact, just the opposite. They wanted to see that solved. But the higher priority of the 12 men that knew Jesus best was spiritual in nature. This was a, the, the apostles couldn't afford to be taken away from, the, from their more critical ministry. Physical ministry has value. Meeting people's physical needs matters. If you're hungry, somebody once said, you won't hear the gospel over the rumbling of your stomach if you're hungry. And that's a true statement. The church can be bad about, about sharing the gospel without meeting physical needs and thinking that people just, ought, you know, if we just talk to them about Jesus, all the rest of their problems will melt away or they won't care about them anymore. But people still have physical needs. And those physical needs do matter. I don't want to say that they don't. That's not at all what we read in this passage. But we also recognize that full bellies don't save people. A relationship with Christ is what saves us. The apostles recognized that their ministry, their spiritual ministry, was too vital to be sidetracked. Now, I'm not trying to say that there are spiritual ministries and physical ministries and there's no overlap. These were seven men full of the Spirit. The feeding the Grecian windows was spiritual. There was a spiritual aspect to that. Even in a physical ministry like this, a spiritual maturity among the leaders was important. But the church cannot afford to lose sight of the spiritual for the physical. It's a common thing that churches can get caught up in stuff. And it can be good stuff. Feeding, feeding the hungry. Clothing those who need it. Um, helping people with bills uh, to pay to pay power bills. I mean, people people being cold, that's a problem, right? We were just talking about that. These are problems, and it doesn't mean that the church shouldn't try to help with some of these problems. We just recognize that we can't help everybody. We don't have those kinds of resources. And that's not the ultimate goal of the church. Now, again, if, if, if you're struggling to make ends meet, it may be hard to hear the gospel. But the gospel is, at the end of the day, the point of the church. And... The other things can help people, and helping people is good, but it's not the end goal. Because none of us are sticking around in this world for forever. And the balance of the church is balancing when we help people physically. Are we also helping them spiritually? Because ultimately, that's the highest priority of the church. We are spiritual beings, living in physical bodies for the time being, but that won't last forever. None of us are sticking around here forever. It's the spiritual that matters because that's eternal. If we only focus on the physical, we will not be preparing ourselves for eternity with God. That's, that's our goal. And so we are serving the church through, serving the community through benevolence, but serving the church through prayer and the word. And we also need to then keep in mind that the goal of the church, we serve Christ through evangelism. If the church only cares about itself, those of us within these four walls, we would be terribly selfish. Our goal is spiritual. And as spiritual, the church exists to draw all people closer to God. You and I are close, and we want to get even closer. None of us are where we want to stay. We want to continually, day after day, week after week, month after month, grow closer to God through his son Jesus. That's our goal as members of the church. 
but we also want to bring people who are outside of the church closer to God, and anything's closer. If they're not with God, that first step is closer. We want to bring non-Christians to Christ and Christians closer to Christ. That's the goal of the church. We see this in this passage. The church was growing. The church was still focusing on evangelism. They, weren't, they had thousands of members. It wasn't enough. Because it's never enough, as long as there are still people that are unchurched. The worst thing that people can do is to see a need that's not central to the goal of evangelism and complain about it, bring attention to it, distract from the true ministry. That's why I say everything needs to be evaluated. Now, if the church takes a, a, a if, we, if, we, if some Sunday in the, when the weather's warmer, we decide we're going to take a church trip and go mini-golfing as, as a church, that'd be fun. I enjoy mini-golfing. There's nothing wrong with that. We just would never want to make that the focus, right? The focus is to share Jesus. That doesn't mean that we can't do other things. A fun time of fellowship could be, could be very healthy. It's just not the end goal. The end goal is sharing Jesus, growing in Christ. We don't want to make the little things into the big things. There are a lot of things that the church can do well that aren't the point. And there's nothing wrong with doing the various ministries that, that, that are less evangelistic. Not everything is about street corner preaching. We want to make sure that we prioritize our ministries, that we evaluate them all in the light of how is this helping the church to grow? We can do all the little ministries. We just can't lose sight of the fact that ministry is meant to draw us closer to God. The spiritually mature Christian sees needs and evaluates them and prioritizes them based upon that. In the light of the gospel of Christ, we decide what are the mountains, what are the molehills. We, we complain, rightfully so, I feel, about government mismanagement of money. Things our government does that we spend money on that just seems so, so off base and a waste of taxpayer dollars pet projects, but churches can do the same thing if we're not careful. Spiritual minds pray to see the world with the eyes of Christ. The Holy Spirit sees people who don't know God who need to know him and need to be saved. When our faith is disconnected from the spiritual and we're just focused on the physical, um, it's difficult to teach God's truth effectively. When we have a ministry, we have to remember that the focus of the ministry is to draw people closer to Christ. Now, again, in, in different ways. Is mini go- would, would a mini-golf outing be a bad thing? No, I don't think it would be. I think fellowship is a good thing. Learning to be friends with each other and trusting each other and working together. I think that, that there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all this church became known for, oh, that's the church you go to to play mini-golf, that would be a terrible travesty of the gospel. I want this to be a church that's known for preaching the truth of Christ unhindered. The heart of the church is spiritual, and the need of the church is to preach Christ crucified. The apostles understood that the church needed them to preach and pray and not feed people. Not because food for the stomach doesn't matter or has no value, but they understood that food for the soul is our eternal need, and food for the stomach is important in the short term, but it's not our long-term goal. Their ministry was to draw all people unto Christ. And 
what we see is that the church grew in this. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 86, The Love of God. Our job is not to hide the light, but to shine it for all to see that Christ is the only way to be saved, the only method of salvation. He is the only Savior this world will ever see. If you haven't made the decision to make Christ Savior of your life, I invite you to, uh, to, to let's talk about that. Uh, either come forward now or, or stick around after church and let's talk about what Christ as Savior looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.